back to another special episode of the Apple Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. This is episode 137.5, and I'm on the line once again with Lux. Lux, how are you tonight? How are you doing? I am doing just fine. I am getting ready for tomorrow. And what, pray tell, is happening tomorrow, my friend? Oh, it's release day for March of the Machine. Oh, is it ever? People are excited. I mean, I just—I haven't had like seen like I've seen a lot of people get excited for sets, but like some sets, people are like already dumping on them before they even hit the shelves for pre-releases, and I don't hear any of that. People are excited for this set. I think people are excited for the new battles. I think people are really gonna are gonna really enjoy those as uh, a new variant on um, you know card types. Uh, so I think people are really excited, and and I think. Are you, are you excited for the team the team up cards with uh, where the various planes are fighting the Phyrexians? Oh, big time! And I think you already know which one I'm going to be going after. Well, if I had to guess, just looking at all the various options, um, I would have to say you're probably going for. Uh, let me just have a quick look here. I'll pull up a little list of all these. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think you're probably a Thalia and the Gitrog monster guy. Personally, I don't know. Yep. It was either yep. that or Zamone and Dina. I think those are the two where I think you're gonna you would end up. Yeah. Um I think black green X is something that you're very comfortable with. And so I could see either Thalia and the Gitrog Monster or Zamone and Dina being cards that get you uh I've got you already trying to brew up stuff. Um on my end, I'm I'm pretty excited for Yargle and Multani, which is you know kind of a little silly. But I'm also interested in, like, I think, which one was it? It was Inga and Essica, which I think I'm pretty interested in that one as well, too. Um, but there's a whole bunch of cool new uh, cool new legends. Uh, lots of great new cards to build with. Um, did you see they got a new Pelucranos card? And I did. That's, and I tell you, they, it's like I said previously, like, this is why I have not been able to build Nethera yet. They, every yeah. time I get around to building the deck, like, it just gets new stuff. Well, Pelucranos doesn't go in your Nethroid deck. Pelucranos is, ne- is now very clearly at the helm of a of a of a green white Hydra's deck because uh, it's pretty cool. But I think like three mana four five with reach is like just a ridiculous rate on a card, and then you get to flip it over and do more things. I'm like, well then, that just seems hilarious. Anyway, lots of great cards. There's a new Ayara. There's a new Glissa. There's oh, and the new art on Glissa is cool. Have you seen that? Yeah, I haven't I have. seen the art on that. That's that's cool art. Glissa looks sick. Wow. Anyway, cool yeah, stuff. Man, People you, are gonna be yeah. They oh, go ahead. let me tell you they this they this set and let me tell you they Chef's Kiss. Mm-hmm. They, there is a lot of spicy cards in it. And not always like crazy powerful, just interesting things to, to play with. And yeah. I'm really excited to see some of these cards. And there's some really cool reprints too that have that have got reprinted. Um, so if I remember right, there's like a monastery mentor, which is always good. I love seeing Skittering Surveyor come back. That's probably bodes well for the draft format. And you know what? Even so, a Skittering Surveyor is a surprisingly useful little card in Commander. Like, if you need, a, like, a Pilgrim's Eye or a Skittering Surveyor in your list, like, it's nice to have it back. 
And then Stoke the Flames is just a good piece of removal, so I'm happy to see that. And Vanquish the Weak has always been just a really useful piece of removal, so I think there's lots of interesting things and some good preprints and some fun new cards and lots of commanders. So there's lots to enjoy, and I hope people go out this weekend and really do enjoy um, the pre-release and have fun playing uh, Paper Magic with your friends at a store. So, uh, Lux... We wish you all the best here and, and, and having fun playing slinging cards with your friends uh, tomorrow when you go your when you go to the pre-release and uh, hopefully you 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 pull something cool and spicy to tell us all about next week. Yep, and I will make sure that and I keep track of the deck that I build. It sounds good, excellent. All right, let's get the show underway. So if you like what you're hearing, folks, you can find all of our content available at thelotuscouncil.com. That is our web, that is the home uh, on the internet. Uh, you can also find it circulating on a bunch of different Discord servers. You can find us on Twitter and everywhere else. If you need to get a hold of us, please check the show notes for how to reach out to us. We'd love to get mail from our from our audience. We'd love to hear from you guys some more. Um, all right, garbage or great? We got two cards today to talk about. So, uh, are you ready, Lux? Let's get your yep. ready to get your card evaluation on. All right, so the first card is called Foster. Two green green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control dies, you may pay one. If you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put that card into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So what do you think about this card, my friend? I mean, this seems like another one of those cards that goes in a very specific type of deck, and that type of deck is graveyard strat. Yeah, so I could definitely see this sort of going into a deck that's got a heavy graveyard themed. I'm personally of the opinion that this card has probably been passed over. Like, the power creep is real. Like, this was printed in... Let's see, what year was this printed? This was printed in the Commander 2013 printing. So, it was printed actually in 2012, because I remember it would come out in the in the November of the, the year previous, um, just in time for the holiday season. So this is now like a 10-year-old card, and we've had a lot of better things that have come to play. However, there could be applicability for this card, right? It's not totally unplayable, is it? No. No, it's not. So um, like, so let's imagine a scenario, audience, and like, this is, like, I think it's a pretty easy scenario to, to set up. So imagine you have a Colossal Dreadmaw in play. Six mana, six, six, trample, big old thing, right? You sacrifice it to the greater good, which is an enchantment that's going to draw you cards for the power of your creature. So you draw six cards, you throw at the, but you have to discard three of them, and then this could trigger, in which case you're going to mill cards until you hit your next creature. And so, you know, you get to replace your Dreadmaw, you draw three cards, and you fill your graveyard for whatever purpose you want to do, dredge, or whether you want to reanimate something, or whether you're going to play Nethroi next and do something disgusting. Like, you're pro- how many cards do you think you're probably dumping in your graveyard when, like, you sack a, dre- a Dreadmaw, draw six, pitch three, mill a bunch to get to your next creature? How many cards do you think you're putting in your graveyard? I mean, Four, honestly. five, six? Yeah. That seems pretty good. If you're a Nethroi deck, you're probably a pretty okay with that. <laughs> like, you dump a bunch of cards, you 
you could probably a bunch of other creatures in your graveyard already. You can now power you power or you or you can use it to delve something out that's pretty cool. Um, so I could see this like you power up like an underworld breach with this or something. Um, maybe a dread strategy. So like I'm kind of interested in this card, but I don't think it's probably something that most people would want to play typically in their graveyard decks. Right? Like, would you kind of agree, like, we have a lot of better tools? What do you think? Yep. Yeah? So, like, I, like, I really do think this has got some, like, there's some decent, it's, it's got some applicability. I don't think it's great. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the pro real problem comes down to the fact that this is a four-mana card that really doesn't do anything the turn it comes into play. And if anybody's been paying attention to, to Commander recently, the speed of the format is picking up. It's getting faster and faster and faster all the time. And, you know, new cards are only going to exacerbate that because we're getting new, powerful things all the time. So I don't think we really have the time anymore to put a Foster in our deck and to utilize it to, a, to great effectiveness. But it would be awesome if we could... And I'd be game to see somebody try. So my kind of my 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 realist view on the card is probably that it's not very good and it's probably kind of garbage. But there's an optimist to me that says I would like this card to be good, and I guess we need to like we need to build a deck to force it into being good, so that we can take good advantage of this card. So it's probably probably garbage though, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately is right. All yes, right. Because they unfortunately they in this segment there is no fence sitting. It's either great or it's garbage, and we've already decided that it's not great. So unfortunately, <laughs> it has to be garbage. Garbage. All right. Now we have a new one from um, our our set March of the Machine coming out tomorrow. We have an invasion. So we're going to take uh, one of the battles then uh, and have a look at it. So we have an invasion of Lorwyn. So four black green for a siege. And it says on the front, when invasion of Lorwyn enters the battlefield, destroy uh, target non-elf creature an opponent controls with power X or less, where X is the number of lands you control. You control. You control. Um, sorry, destroy target star star target non-elf creature an opponent controls. That's going to make it kind of narrow, it doesn't it? Yeah. Your opponent needs to have a star, star, non-elf creature. And it comes in with five defense loyal or defense counters on it. All right, on the front side, what do we think about this particular card? You, your opponent has to have a star, star, non-elf creature for this to have a legal target. Yeah, they honestly, they that's not very good because they... What are the odds that they're going? Your opponent's going to have a creature that meets that condition. Yeah, I kind of feel like this is probably like this is probably a dud on this side. So let's flip it over and see what happens. If you can take off the five, the five defense counters, you get winnowing forces. Winnowing forces' power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control, and it's a star star elf warrior. So okay, on on the flip side, what do we think of this this particular ability? You get a star, a, a star, star vanilla creature. That's an elf warrior. I mean, it's an okay, but they 
And since this is basically like a in black green card, you're basically going to have, depending on how many in uh, lands that you have, like what format you're playing, that you're going to make this pretty beefy. It's going to be beefy, and the fact that it's typed as an elf could be relevant. So yep. if it goes in the it goes in the Lathril deck, it could be a pretty reasonable card as like a big thing that, um, or something that you could then turn around and again sacrifice for value to draw cards or deal damage or whatever. So it's got some applicability on the on the back. Um, on the on the whole, what do you think? Do you think you're putting this in your commander deck? I mean, the the entire card, yeah, no, they, they, I'd really like the backside, but the front side, it's basically a dud. Yeah, I think that's where I have to come down to. Like, we don't really, we can't really afford to play a six mana card that does nothing when we play it, just for the privilege of having a, uh, a big beefy elf warrior that we have to go and fight. Like, we have to fight our way to t- take down those counters off of it, which is going to be, I think, tougher than it looks. So I think, on the whole, this card is probably limited fodder. Even there, I don't know how good it's going to be because of the fact that I don't know how many star star... Oh, wait a second. I'm reading the, the, the Oracle text. When Invasion of Lorwyn enters the battlefield, destroy target non-elf creature and opponent controls... With power X or less, where X is the number of lands you control. So that one's not said on the written on the card. Why do I oh okay, never mind. Okay. So okay, so it really just says when invasion of Lorwin enters the battlefield, destroy target non-elf creature and opponent controls with power X or less. That makes it more playable. Uh, oh, so like we've just completely misread the card. Yeah. And they literally the like the star like the star star symbol on it and they made it confusing. It did. If you an audience, I mean, we'll uh, if you can read, the, go go have a look at the card in the in the show notes. You're gonna have a look and see on the front side where the star star comes in. It goes comes right after the word destroy, and so it's unclear if it's part of that text box or if it's indicating what's on the back. So we're reading the oracle text here, and then all right. So if it's gonna destroy something, it's that's playable. It maybe which it may be something like a lateral deck could use. It still yep. only goes in a black green elf deck, doesn't it? Yep. The hey, no, they the sometimes black green elf decks uh, can be popular. Oh, they're well. Lathril is very a very popular black green elf yep. deck from Caldime, so very very popular, and uh, there's lots of people like to play it. Now, something on this card caught your attention. What was it that caught your attention? And the what I was in a pick to was the flavor text for Winnowing Forces, because in like. I was just reading that, and like, I just laughed. All right, so let's read the, the oracle te- or the, the the flavor text. The Phyrexian appearance was so offensive that Perfects and Iblights worked together in unprecedented kinship to destroy them. So, if you're not familiar with the the plane of Lorwyn, uh, the Elves, which are considered like they call themselves the Perfects because they're perfect in appearance, uh, hunt the Iblights or the goblins and whatnot um, of their plane mercilessly um, like almost to like a genocidal point um, and have sworn there were the eradication of the eye blades at pretty much every ever at all costs correct yep 
And so now here we are, folks. They are both facing an enemy so uh, so so important to be destroyed and so uh, offensive to their senses that they have to team up and kill this before they can go back to fighting each other. Uh huh. <laughs> that's quite the that's quite the quote. Good grief. And like, like I said, like it's just funny. Like imagine seeing something that offends you so team up with your mortal enemy to purge it. Well, in all fairness, if you had a look at the at the Phyrexians, uh, I'm not a Phyrexian guy. I don't really like them. Um, I find their appearance really, really quite shocking and really quite uh, uh, difficult for me to deal with. Um, so I'm quite happy to see them get uh, to see them get teamed up on by the elves and the and the and the uh, the eye blades to get wiped off of Lorwyn, which is a plane I hope we go back to soon because I think we've. We visited a lot of planes, but we haven't come back to Lorwyn very readily. And I would like to go back and and check it out and see what else is happening there. But anyway, very very cool. It, like it's just funny that like, right. if you like if you actually pay attention to the story of March to the Machine, like Elish Norn, they in her infinite wisdom she was like, oh, like I conquered Mirrodin very easily. The rest of the multiverse should be just as easy. And yet, here she is finding out that the multiverse wasn't going to take this lying down. Well, I think, as as uh, a wise man once said, Elish Norn is now in the business of um, screwing around and finding out that the rest of the multiverse isn't going to take her stuff lying down. So, and normally I realize there's some other language that gets used in that set in that in that statement there, audience. But we're a family show. We try to use we don't try and speak in uh, in vulgar terms too frequently. But uh, yeah. If you if you know what I mean, then you know what I mean. Screw around and find out. So, all right, segment two. So I thought tonight might be fun if we, um, since we're, I think more or less the end of our of our time seeing our praetors from New Phyrexia run around as cards has come more or less. Don't don't they all get eliminated at some point or another in the story from March of the Machines? And they, the only one that doesn't is Urabrask. They, yes, uh, and they, of course. He's... They, they, Elish Norn had him torn limb from limb, but he managed to survive that, and she basically just left him like that. So he's alive and not really digging life. Okay, good. Yeah. Um. So, but the other four are all get killed by either your deceit, because I believe Jindataxius like like ends up backstabbing one of them. Does he not? Yeah, they, what happened was that you know they early in the story they Elish Norn had Shieldred killed. They yes, I forget I what happened. Part. They I forget and who it was that <laughs> killed Vorinclex, but and that Jinkitaxi is turned on Elish Norn and was in turn you know, they eliminated by Ajani. Right, I remember that part. Yes. Um. Yeah. So, and then uh, and Elish Norn gets killed by by Karn, right? Well, it's a and a and a, and a it's a group effort between like Karn, like and Elspeth. Right. 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 So, so basically, like the only one left standing is basically Urbrask, and like, he's basically limbless. He's, yeah, he's not really standing so much as he's lying on the ground, limp in, in a puddle. So, more or less, our praetors that we've grown to know and love have been uh, dispatched with one way or another. <laughs> Um, so we now thought we'd go back and look at them all over their their multiple printings, 
and think about which one is the best and rank them from uh, worst to best um, and try and sort of get a sense for where our, our beloved Praetors stand in terms of the ranking of the Praetors. So um, let's start off with our with what I think is the fifth Praetor uh, and the least powerful of all the Praetors is Urobrask. Um, so we have three versions of him. We have Urobrask the Hidden, Urobrask uh, the Her- 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 Heretic Praetor, and then Urobrask uh, or the, and the Great Work from March of Machines. Um, now, I think everyone sort of could agree that Urobrask the Hidden, which was the Urobrask from the original visit to New Phyrexia, um, was probably uh, the weakest of the five Praetors by a fairly wide margin. Um, it, it was the only one that was easily castable, but it had the 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 most uh, limited limiting effect uh, on the on the battlefield and was okay, but not great. Um, and then we got Urobrask Heretic Praetor, which again was an okay card. Um, it did some interesting things, but was hardly what we like, we had already seen Warnclax, we had already seen Gingitaxius. So to see this Urobrask in this in this new incarnation was again a little bit a little bit of a, of a letdown, and finally Urobrask um, or the Great Work is probably the best version of him. Where Urob- this version of Urobrask really is going to enable Storm decks to go off um, on the, by using the front side because it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Urobrask deals one damage to target opponent. Uh, now. I'm going to be honest there, Lux. Of all five Praetors, Urobrask was the one that I sort of grew to appreciate. Um, even if he wasn't the most powerful, uh, I, I did appreciate what he did as a card. I also, in the lore of the story, I sort of appreciated what he, the role he played as sort of being um, someone who didn't necessarily step in line with the idea of um, the orthodoxy of, of the rest of New Phyrexia. So, um, you sort of come down to the same conclusion that Urobrask is has interesting cards, but is probably still the fifth ranked Praetor of all the Praetors. And like pretty much, because as people are going to see and they, the other Praetors, they've had much more powerful incarnations than Urobrask ha- has. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll see that very quickly um, when we start looking at the other Praetors. Um, so yeah, but uh, again, still good cards. Uh, all three Urobrasks see plenty of play. Um, Urobrask the Hidden u- usually is used as a way to give your team haste. Um, Urobrask uh, Heretic Praetor has got an interesting uh, exile effect on, on him for card draw. And then, of course, Urobrask the Great Work has got the, um, the, uh, the Storm ability leaning in, to lean into. So... All right, in fourth place, and this, there's really people who are going to take to take exception with this one. I have Vorinclax next, their Lux. <clears throat> is, is that a hot take, to put Vorinclax fourth? I mean, honestly, they, I have looked every iteration of all the Praetors, and this seems pretty fair. Yeah, so we had Vorinclax Voice of Hunger from the original visit to uh, New Phyrexia, was printed in which was in yeah in New Phyrexia, and uh, he's really really terrifying. Um, very expensive to cast, 
you're spending eight mana for a giant seven six monster and with a very debilitating effect on the board um most people don't like him as a card because of the fact that it basically punishes you for taking a basic game action namely tapping your mana so you can cast your spells and that really sort of warps the, the board state really quickly so you lock your opponents out you double your mana and can do all sorts of gross things um so original Vorinclex was pretty pretty terrifying next we got monstrous raider from call time and so that's a six mana six six trample haste and he cares about plus one plus one counters so if you were to put counters on your stuff you get two you double them sorry nope that's not true that many plus one right no it is double sorry it's a double and then your opponents um essentially can't put uh counters on their things um because it puts half as many counters on theirs which gets rounded down to zero um now monstrous raider was very very powerful still but in a much different sense, wasn't it, Lex? Yep. So, think from a game design standpoint, their audience, um, Monstrous Raider was very was far more fair than Vorinclex was. So, Monstrous Raider enabled a particular type of strategy. You're playing a counter strategy, and um, and if your opponents weren't playing along the same strategy, then you had uh, the ability to not totally derail the game where if you were um if you play vorinclex uh, voice of hunger you're now basically forcing the game to draw to a close because your opponents can't use their lands so i think monstrous raider is by far and away the most fair and balanced version of vorinclex we saw while still being very good and very impactful and then last but not least we have vorinclex or on the back we have the great evolution and this one just seems very questionable because uh, you search your library from the two forests, and you put them in your hand, which is not great, and you're getting a six, uh, a five mana trample. Sorry, five mana six six trample with reach for three green green, and then you can go six green green, flip it, and it you get the green the grand evolution. So you mill ten cards and put some creatures in, onto the battlefield. Distribute seven plus one plus one counters, which seems good as well. Uh, and then until the end of turn, this creature fights target creature you don't control. But the backside, while is appealing, you got to get through the front side. And the front side is just, I mean, it's good, but I'm not as excited for it as I find some of the other ones are. Which are your, now you have, you, I'm going to tell you, you have some fond memories of casting some Born Clexes. Which one of these is your favorite Born Clex to cast? And they out of the two so far, they I would honestly have to say in the voice of hunger because and I've had some pretty interesting interactions with my opponents. Yes, um, I have had that as well. Um, I usually put it in my deck as a big old rattlesnake to soak up some removal because you know as you cast your Vorinclax that they're going to kill it, and if they can't kill it, you pretty much run away with the game. So I. I mean, I really, I agree. I think Voice of Hunger is probably the most impactful one. Um, I've never cast a Monstrous Raider in paper, so I don't know. And we'll see in in time what the, whether the this Warren Clax has got the the Grand Evolution on the back is going to be as impactful. But I feel like t spending eight mana to flip it is really going to be prohibitive and making it hard 
to to use that effectively. Yeah, but let me tell you, the voice of hunger, they, I won't mention the words that were said, but let me tell you, they, my opponents, they, the thrill, and it was saltier than your average Call of Duty lobby. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to number three. Number three, we have Shouldred. So Shouldred had Shoulder the Whispering One, um, who is a particularly scary traitor. Uh, so she's five black black for a six six swamp walking praetor. And at the beginning of your upkeep, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. So it's it's an abyss for your opponents and a reanimation spell for you on a giant six six swamp walking monster. And she was good. Uh, no doubt about it. Then the next iteration was Shoulder the Apocalypse from Dominaria United. And she's two black black, four five, death touch. And she punishes your opponents for drawing cards. They lose two life. And you gain two life whenever you draw a card. And last but not least, we have Shoulder. And on the flip side, we have the Scriptures. This was one people may not have read. So three black black, legendary creature Praetor. She's four five with Menace. When Shoulders enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker. Four and a black. Exile Shoulder, then return it uh, to the battlefield transformed. So we flip it over and it turns into the true scriptures. For chapter one, for each opponent, destroy up to, uh, to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. Chapter two, each opponent discards three and then mills three. And then... Three, put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. Exile the true scriptures, then return it to the battlefield. So that's like um, uh, dark Rise of the Dark Realms on a card. So they're all pretty good versions of Shouldered, are they not? Yes, they definitely are. So OG Shouldered, like the Shouldered Whispering one, is very, very powerful. Um, if you allowed your opponent to untap with it, and where they can start getting things out of their graveyard with it, you are going to be in for a world of trouble. Like, I can just guarantee you, things have gone badly, you're probably going to lose, because they're going to go get a demon, and they're going to, or something terrifying from their yard, and put it back into play. And that's no bueno for anybody, right? Um, yeah. There's no cost reduction on her, so she's pretty fair, but she is big and she is scary, is she not? <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Very much so. But I'm going to be honest there, Lex. I really feel like the scarier Shouldered is Shoulder the Apocalypse. So you're spending two black black for a four five. Like a five power, or sorry, a five toughness creature for four mana is huge. It has death touch, so it tussles with everything really, really well. And then the fact that it punishes a basic game action, like drawing a card, makes it so insidious. And so if you're somebody who is playing, let's play you play your sign and blood and you spend two life to draw two cards, well now you've just gained four life back and you can black has lots of these effects where you can just like draw a pile of cards, gain a ton of life, and then use that to cast an ad nauseum, or you're using to cast a necropotence, or um, you know, bulls of citadel or whatever. So Shoulder leans right into that angle so that you can do a lot of really explosive things with her. It makes her very, very frightening as a, as a commander goes. Um, 
and, and it has taken over all sorts of formats. One-on-one yeah. formats, casual commander. It's it's really it's pretty much everywhere, is it not? Yep. Like, let's go check the price tag of a Shieldred the Apocalypse. So Shoulder the Apocalypse is for the which version? The cheapest version, which believe it or not, is the I think is actually the showcase version. The showcase non-foil version is still sixty-seven dollars. <laughs> like there's a Phyrexian one, a Phyrexian regular so regular card style, but with the Phyrexian printing is 70 bucks. Like this card is not <laughs> so expensive. So expensive. And because I, it's honestly, like what like the best part is that finally we have a non-blue card that lets us tell blue players no. <laughs> well, it definitely makes them rethink about their life choices yeah. if they go to cast that expensive draw spell. Yeah, for sure. Like you could very easily have a player with a with a Rhystic study take 8, 10, 12 damage in a turn. Turn cycle of the table. Like, no trouble at all. And, and everyone's going to laugh at the blue player. Yeah. And so, and then lastly, the new children, like the newest children, the one with the, with the, with the saga on the back. Uh, if you can get to that last, ulti- the, the ultimate ability, like, on that saga, that's the Rise of the Dark Realms, that's wild. Like, I, I don't know if you would have it in you to get to that stage of the of it, but very good. So I think all of them, I think, are interesting. Um, I think Shoulder of the Apocalypse is very, very powerful, and um, is deceivingly so. Um, but they're yeah. all really good. And I I would put them a cut above where Warren Clex is normally. Yeah. And like I was going to say is that I found my an Oathbreaker deck, and they laid on a Dreadboard yeah. General. And yeah, yes. they Rise of the Dark Realms was the signature spell. Well, now it's uh, now it's children, and it's got it right built into the back. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I think I'm. I think children is number three. Well, at least we got two left. So we have Ginger Taxius, or we have Elish Norn. Now, what do you think is number two, Lelux? And that looking at both end of the Praetors and their iterations, number two will have to be Jitigitaxius. And we're going yeah, to explain why. You, you, you feel free. What, what do you, why do you think Jitigitaxius has got to be number two? And mainly in, uh, for the fact that, and they, it's like I said, and they, looking at both of them and their iterations, Elishorn just seems way more powerful than Jitigitaxius is. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. No, I while I will agree that the original Gingitaxius, there are very few cards that strike fear in my heart the way Gingitaxius Core Augur does. All right, this one is truly a hateful card, audience. So it's eight blue blue for a five four legendary Praetor with flash. At the beginning of your end step, you draw seven cards, and then each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by seven. So you could very easily, if you can protect Gingitaxius for any length of time, end yourself up in a situation where you have a full grip of cards and your opponents are in top deck mode. That's a pretty much a surefire way to have the game end very quickly with you having stomped your opponents. All right? 
Um, then we saw uh, Jinjax's next in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty with Progress uh, Jinjax's Progress Tyrant, who is uh, again a very interesting card. I feel like not quite as oppressive, but still very powerful. Uh, whenever so it says uh, five blue blue Frexian Praetor five five. Whenever you cast an artifact, instant or sorcery spell copy that spell. That's really interesting. It says artifact, instant or sorcery. Lots of people don't like lose fact that the artifact gets copied too. So if you cast your Sol Ring after you cast your Nutaxius, you get two Sol Rings. Just saying, not just spells here. Um, you may choose new targets for the copy, the ability triggers only once, once each turn. So, very interesting. And then whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability only triggers once each turn. That clause is super frustrating. So, if someone can resolve Genitaxi's Progress Tyrant, they need to have two instances or sorceries in their hand in order to kill it. And pray to goodness they don't have a, a an arch that they don't have some way to to. Oh, what was I lost my train of thought? Oh, what was I trying to say? Ah, look at me. But anyway, so pray to goodness that your opponents like. Oh yeah, pray your opponents don't have like two. Derpy spells like, like how many times have we seen like your opponent play a derpy like, I don't know like, God's willing, knowing is going to get countered, so then so then wax your Jinjitaxius, but if your Jinjitaxius player is any good, they're going to be sitting on a piece of like counter spell magic to hold up, knowing that it's going to take a second spell from your hand to kill your their Jinjitaxius, and then once this thing can go unchecked. It's pretty wild. Have you seen this thing? Have you, how how much have you faced in your taxis there, Lux? I have actually not seen this one out in the wild just yet. Okay, so <laughs> I saw I, this one at a, at a game, and you know what spell they cast? Hmm. They cast it, they, so they didn't cast a sorcery. They cast Gitter Beam Battalion. So Skitterbean Battalion is a 9-mana, 4-4 artifact creature construct with Trample, Haste, and it says when Skitterbean Battalion enters the battlefield, if you cast it, create two tokens that are copies of it. So the guy ended up getting copies of Skitterbean Battalion. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, he didn't get six copies because the second copy wasn't cast, but it didn't make a duplicate of it. Oh, so I, he had 16 power and toughness, and he just ran me over. I'm like, oh, I'm dead. Like, so it was it was so funny. So, anyway, suffice to say, the card can be very powerful. Um, and then Ginger Taxius, we reviewed this a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember that, Lux? Yep. And I'm pretty sure the front side is very medium. Three blue blue, five five, Crater, Ward two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value 3 or greater, draw a card. Like, I don't think that's going to be particularly how this deck wants to run. If you're running Gingitaxius. And then you're spending 3 and a blue to flip it. And then you get some really silly abilities. So you're drawing cards, you go number of cards in your hand. You're returning all non-land Phyrexians to their owner's hands for Chapter 2. And then, like, an omniscient sort of ability with great synthesis. So, 
all good stuff. I definitely think it's probably the weakest of the three. Um, but I think how terrifying Ginny Taxius was as the core auger, and then how seemingly abusable he was as a progress tyrant, um, I still have to put them ahead of where um, blue was and red was. Sorry, green, yeah, green, black, and red were. So that puts it at number two. Did you agree? Yep. Last but not least, we have Elish Norn. Oh, gosh, Elish Norn. She is a problem, isn't she? Yes, big time. And All right. let me tell you, I, I have actually <laughs> encountered in both of our current iterations out in the wild. She's not fun. No, she pretty much smashes you. So, okay, so Grand Cenobite, Elish Norn Grand Cenobite is like one of these classic finishers that... Um, that uh, people will run. So she's five white, white for a four seven Praetor with vigilance. Other creatures you control get plus two plus two. Creatures your opponents control get minus two minus two. Pretty much assuring that you're going to win combat in like a and if you go wide with Elish Norn, you're going to and like this could be your overrun effect and you win the game very quickly. Um, she's very powerful and she shrinks down your opponent's things. She pumps your things up. Um, she's very 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 powerful. Um, and, you know, can totally wreck a board state all on her own. Like, how many times, Lux, have you seen her get resolved? And then the board gets cleaned up, and there's, like, a whole bunch of, like, like mana dorks and utility creatures that just vanish because Elishnorn just whacks them by giving them all minus two, minus two. We've seen that happen plenty of times, mainly because dope at the time that she was resolved, nobody had any way of preventing her from hitting the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a good and a good player will know that. A good player will will be able to sneak her in at a time when your guards are down and and, and get good value for her. Elish Norn Mother Machines is ridiculous. Like she's just a ridiculous card because it's a it's a panharmonicon. It's a torpor orb. It's a four seven for five mana with vigilance. Like there's nothing not to like. There's nothing not to like. Right? Like yeah, nothing. Like, what don't you like? Like, I would say of all the Praetor, of all the Praetors we've seen so far, this is probably the one I want to play the most. She's not, like, the most, like, flashy, but she's going to generate crazy amounts of value. So we've got two, ver two things that drastically impact the board. Grand Cenobite, you know, wrecks their team, pumps your team. Very impactful. Um, and then we have... A situation, you know, where the other March of the Machine, one from March of the Machines, sorry, Mother of Machines is just every bit as powerful. And then we end up with Elish Norn, the Archant Etching, Argent Etchings. So let's have a look here. So Elish Norn goes like this two white, white, Phyrexian Praetor, three, five, with vigilance. Whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or a permanent you control, that controller's, controller loses two life. Unless they pay one. So some sort of like a taxation effect. Um, and they can decide they want to take take some damage too. Kind of interesting in a group slug sort of dynamic, I guess. But anyway. And two and a white sacrifice three other creatures. Exile, Elish, Norn, return to the battlefield. So you flip this card into um, the Edgent Arching. Edgent, Argent Etching, sorry. And you get some Incubate two, five times. And then creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain double strike until end of turn. 
She can double strike. That's pretty nuts. Destroy all other permanents except for artifacts, lands, and Phyrexians. And then exile it, and then you can flip it back. So, even this is very appealing. I feel like it's not too prohibitive to cast it. Like, four mana to cast this seems pretty reasonable, right? Yep. And then if you can sack three creatures because you've got three tokens or something derpy lying around the battlefield, like some, some spirited companions and stuff like that, you can turn this into a pretty scary situation. Um... So, yeah. So I kind of think that Elish Norn probably is the most impactful whenever she resolves the battlefield in, wh in whichever iteration of the, of the Praetor we're going to get to. Right? Would you agree there, Alex, or would you... Yeah, big time. Yeah. So, so Elish Norn is pretty good. Pretty scary. Um, but I can't say I'm sad to see her get killed and hopefully not see too many Phyrexians for a while. So, um, any thoughts there, Lux, on our ranking of our five craters? I don't know. I think you uh, pretty much ranked them fairly. I certainly tried to. I don't know. I mean, there's going to be people out there who disagree. And if you do, please, please, please let me know. Uh, reach out to us in the, in the, uh, either you sending me an email or sending me a, uh, hitting me up on Twitter. Would love to have that discussion with uh, with the audience and make them uh, and, and see if you guys agree or if you think the order should be a little bit different. Um, that's going to bring it to the end of tonight's show. I don't think we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna do a, a deck tonight, there, audience. I've got a couple of spicy things on the brew, like in the chamber there with a Yargle list and uh, an Inga and Essica, and we'll see whatever else comes out of um, some of the other commanders and see if some of those jump off the page to me, but. Those have been my earliest efforts so far. But I think we'll save those for another day. Um, Lux, anything else you want to add before we uh, we, we move to sign nope. off? Not really? <clears throat> well, good luck again tomorrow. I hope you have a, a lot of success. And uh, we'll be just know that the, uh, the Epic Experiment uh, podcast is playing right along with you over your shoulder, my friend. Hopefully you come back with some prize packs too. All right, so folks, uh, have yourselves a great night. If you want to get a, get a hold of us, the links are all in the show notes. Uh, if you want to find out where we are on, on Moxfield, you can find us there too. And if you want to find our podcast, you can always go check out all the great places, all your favorite podcast apps, or, of course, thelotuscouncil.com. Uh, until then there, folks, until next week, thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have yourselves a great night. Uh, good luck wherever you play Magic. Hopefully uh, you have great fun at your pre-releases. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a good one.